0: Thanks for listening to Reimagining the Internet from the Institute for Digital Public Infrastructure at UMass Amherst. We're hosting an ongoing discussion with researchers, activists, academics, techies, and journalists about what's wrong with the internet and how we might fix it. I'm your host, Ethan Zuckerman. Welcome everybody to Reimagining the Internet. We've got a conversation today with Trevor Schultz. Uh, Trevor is a scholar activist. Um, he is a professor at the New School in New York City. He's the founding director of the Platform Co-op Consortium and the Research Institute for the Cooperative Digital Economy at the New School. He has what m- must be one of the uh, the most busy years off ever, where he is a fellow at the Open Society Foundation, at the Harvard Berkman Klein Center, and the Berggruen Institute. Uh, And the reason we're talking with Trevor is that he's someone who has coined the idea of platform cooperativism. He's been talking about this very important and very helpful idea um, since 2014. And I think it's one of the ideas that we're really going to want to wrestle with as we think about these questions of the future of the internet. Trevor, it's so good to have you here.
1: Yeah, it's really nice to reconnect. Thank you for having me. Really glad to be here.
0: So, we we have a format that some people fight and that some people embrace, and we're happy either way. But I almost always start these conversations by asking my guest, what's wrong with the internet and and what would you like to do to correct it?
1: Uh, Well, I think uh, I would probably start by uh, framing the question a bit more broadly focusing on platform capitalism at large. Uh, so emphasizing that we really can't just look at the internet in isolation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, yeah, so a bit of uh, background, uh, I you know so my activism research and intellectual community building. So I has focused on the way people work online for a long time. Longer than I care to remember. So in 2014, I suggested bringing the worker co-op model to the digital economy, asking what it would be like if you had an Uber that would be owned by its drivers, or an Airbnb that would be owned by its residents, and that had an you know enormous resonance. A, a resonance, and uh, two books followed, and many conferences at the New School. Uh, you know now we have a research institute that focuses on the cooperative digital economy. Just welcomed uh, seven new uh, PhD students uh, that yeah. focus that focus on that, uh, and you know several political parties have made that uh, uh, platform cooperativism part of their political platform, like the Social Democrats in Germany, the Labour Party in the UK, <laughs> under the previous and current uh, leadership, and also the Legislative Assembly in Kerala, in India. So we have uh, some 500 projects uh, in 47 countries uh, right now, uh, ranging in sectors from domestic care to home delivery, agriculture, also some work uh, in short-term rentals and e-hailing, and also social media. So there, I think it's sort of it's uh, a split screen uh, between uh, digital labor practices. And uh, also a cooperative uh, internet infrastructure. And I think, you know, uh, Ethan, I think this is just such a while this has, you know, we just talked about this a minute ago, has not been an easy year. But this is really a truly cooperative moment. On the one hand, there's this atmosphere of emergency that's used to push a politics of austerity. And then there's this sort of rhetoric of a return to normalcy, you know, propagated by establishment politicians as a sort of simple way of trying to control this moment and appease everybody who wants to imagine and build a different future. Um, uh, But then I think, you know, historically, when you look at exactly moments like that, when, you know, safety nets that were provided by governments or communities or families fall apart, right? this is exactly the moment historically when co-ops emerged, right? And uh, so it's not so surprising that uh, we had, uh, you know, a real uh, increase uh, in, in interest in, in this work uh, over the last year. Yeah.
0: So, so let's back up a little bit and and talk about sort of two different kinds of platform cooperatives. So when we use this term platform, we we can mean fairly different things, right? So there's one branch of um, the internet in which what we're often talking about are, are what economists sometimes call two-sided markets. You have um, providers of services, you have consumers of services, you try to match them up. Airbnb, Uber, those m- both might fall into that space. And, and the platform's view themselves as quote-unquote neutral providers matching buyers and sellers. And you and I, I think, would both agree that they are far from neutral. There's also platforms in the sense that we tend to talk about social media platforms, which is they are service providers that are allowing people to share information online, connect with each other in different ways, and they are being matched Involuntarily with advertisers who want their attention in order to sort of pay for those things. Let, let's take the two in turn. How do, how do platform cooperatives um, alter both of those models? What, what does platform cooperativism look like in, in building an alternative to an Uber or an Airbnb?
1: I think it's not the right framing. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> um, because uh, so often at uh, these uh, at, at events or you know in conversations, uh, I guess that's sort of just a natural uh, place to go, right? Is to say like, so can this be, or how is this an alternative to Uber, Google, Apple, Amazon, right? Uh, but what we find actually, and also historically, when you look at the history of cooperatives, that's not really what co-ops have done, right? They haven't really replaced large corporations. Uh, And when you look at something like Smart.coop, it's a platform co-op that uh, has uh, offers uh, uh, an employment status to freelancers, uh, thereby affording them Unemployment insurance, health insurance, etc. You see, I you know I don't want to go too far into it, but just to show that this is something you know, very specific to the co-op structure and has really hardly anything to do with you know these uh, big tech companies. And yet, it has it's it's present in nine European countries, has thirty-five thousand members, uh, and uh, is quite important. Right, so I think. That or if you look at Italian community cooperatives, I think they might be the best uh, uh, way to think about what can happen on the internet. You know, think of an uh, Italian village in the mountains, right? So hundreds of years old and, you know, people are leaving. And so now people have to think about how they get their sick to the hospital, how they run the postal service, uh, how they run the restaurant so that tourists still come in the hotel. And so they're forming community cooperatives to do all these things at once, right? Okay. So, uh, and I'm just like extremely fascinated and inspired by this, which is not directly talking about platform co-ops, but it is, I think, a really um it serves the needs that are just you know underserved by you know the government or uh, by communities or individuals. So this is what I sort of often with, with many of these platform cooperatives, they they find like very particular areas uh, in which they, they serve the needs of people, you know in care, in home care, in uh, home delivery services, for example, in, in also Italy, uh, Italy is on my mind today, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the city of Bologna just launched a platform co op. Um, and the way they went about it is very different than what we are used to from Deliveroo or Uber Eats or uh, places like that, where they surveyed uh, 150 people in the community uh, in the midst of the pandemic, asking them what they need, right? Okay. From the store owner to the libraries, from the bread factory to the unions to the cooperatives. And they found that yes, they needed delivery services, right? So what came out was a home delivery service, but thought about and framed in a way very differently to anything else we've seen in the United States, which is they uh, bring books to people's houses uh, from the library. Uh, They thought about uh, staying with elder, uh, you know, with pensioners and talking to them because they are so socially isolated. Right, uh, they pick up uh, food. Uh, they deliver bread in the morning to the uh, restaurants, and uh, you know, surf also deliver pizza. But you know, it is uh, it. It's much more just. It, it came out of the needs of the whole ecosystem, not just the workers. You know, I thought that was really interesting.
0: So the point being that platform cooperatives are not just Uber Eats that happen to be owned by the participants within the system, platform cooperatives are a different way of going about solving a set of social problems. Is that right?
1: Yeah. And when you think of sort of Helen Nissenbaum's uh, idea of a value-sensitive design, right? So it really uh, responds also in the design of the platforms uniquely to the challenges, right? Uh, think of Up and Go Cooperative in, in New York City, which has uh, Realized that uh, you know worker profiles are really just there to pit workers against one another. And uh, I found this extremely unuseful. So they just got rid of that when they designed the app and said, basically, no worker profiles for us. When I talked to women uh, when we were starting a platform co-op in Ahmedabad in, in uh, Gujarat with the Seva Federation, uh, we spoke to uh, the women and I asked them, what kind of ideas they would have for an app. And these are women who did have not much idea of this world at all. They knew WhatsApp and a little bit of Facebook. The first thing was an arm went up and said like no worker profiles, right? Okay. So uh, so you see how uh, they are not uh, just copying these, these companies. They really quite, you know, can be very unique. Yeah.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how platform cooperatives are working in terms of social media or digital spaces?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there basically is, is a movement, right, to create a decentralized uh, peer-to-peer services. There's a lot of experimentation uh, with uh, cooperative data ownership. Uh, there are projects like MyData in Switzerland, which created uh, uh, cooperative uh, patient data ownership. Uh, which is uh, then uh, where the patient has the opportunity to release the data to their uh, doctor for free, uh, but perhaps to a for-profit research institute uh, at a a pay, right, at at a fee, which is then donated to public research. So it's not that anybody uh, makes money from that. Um, There's experimentation with data trusts, Right, uh, so I wrote a research paper for uh, Sidewalk Labs together with Jutta Treveranus uh, from the uh, Inclusive Research Design Center in Toronto, uh, where we proposed the cooperative uh, data trust uh, for the uh, you know, uh, Sidewalk Labs uh, project, uh, which would essentially allow the, the, the people, the residents of this area, to uh, govern the data that are collected on them and to decide in the first place, much along the lines of, um, you know, the work we saw uh, in in Barcelona uh, around uh, data sovereignty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to, to really that people can also decide which data are actually collected in the first place.
0: So, so this question of, of data trusts and, and data unions gets into interesting waters very quickly because there's some group of people essentially warning that allowing the collection of data and the possibility of its resale, you know, you offered a very innocuous example, um, which is to, to use aggregated data for medical research. Um, Once we get into things like, um, you know, tracking data, uh, data that's used for ad targeting and things like that, there's at the same time, people arguing for decentralized platforms precisely to sort of get rid of that data this for me raises this really interesting question you know is data something that we should be valuing and trying to figure out how to get compensated for our collective data or is it um, something that we should be sort of protecting from exposure should we be uh, turning it into an asset or, or should we be uh, simply trying to stop the idea of it being uh, commoditized in that way
1: Well, one thing I think where there's a unique opportunity for um, uh, cooperatives, sort of giving a maybe roundabout answer to your question, is that the cooperative uh, community is uh, organized around the seven cooperative principles. Uh, one of it is that cooperatives uh, benefit other cooperatives and work with uh, to the benefit of other cooperatives. So you have that essentially enshrined in this work, uh, which really opens uh, the gates to, uh, you know, uh, shared uh, data standards and a data commons, right? Where uh, cooperatives worldwide could uh, uh, share their data, and uh, I think this is also maybe an answer uh, that's really more urgent. Uh, uh, to a lot of people in this movement is like, how can you actually scale this, right? And one way to scale it is uh, we found over the last few years that most of these cooperatives work best when they stay local and are relatively small, uh, but then federate, right? And have a shared digital infrastructure. So you see this, for example, uh, with Cycle in France, which has uh, established a software for uh, uh, delivery cooperatives uh, in Europe. So they have, they work with 47 cooperatives. They're all quite small. Uh, And they, you know, have open source software that um, uh, these cooperatives can use, right? And so in that sense, and the the data could be shared and bring the benefit, right, to this, and also create an entity that could actually compete in the market, right, Uh, through, federation right? Through by creating networks. You see this uh, similarly in India, right? Where the uh, Seva Federation has uh, like it's this large number, I think it's 115 cooperatives in its federation while also being a union at the same time with 1.4 million people, right? Working together to benefit as an ecosystem, right? As an ecosystem, uh, the self-employed poor women in India, right? So you see how the sort of uh, how uh, the the opportunities for uh, like data commons are like kind of obvious there, right? Like to share data to the benefit uh, of uh, all members.
0: The, there's two ideas there that that we end up sort of talking a lot on on this show and in some of the discussions that we've been having. The the first one is is the notion of small and federated because this is very much what people are now sort of proposing for alternative social media spaces. Um, It's very, very difficult to imagine social media spaces where we all create our own incompatible software. Uh, It's much more likely that we're going to have um, some basic standards, some open source packages, and the ability to, to federate between those systems at minimum around things like identity, Um, The ability to sort of move in and out of each other's spaces. The other one that seems critical is that when you have sufficiently small spaces, it's probably easier for the communities to be involved with actually managing them. And this to me seems like one of the critical failures in these very large scale platforms, whether the, the transactional platforms like Uber or the social media platforms like Facebook, is that the people who are using these systems have uh, essentially no voice and authority on, on how they're carried out. When we get systems that are much smaller, the problem of governance becomes more tractable, which not only has a chance of those platforms being fairer, but also has all sorts of positive externalities, like people sort of participating within governance. What are lessons learned from uh, platform cooperatism about how groups learn how to govern themselves?
1: That's the central, I mean, amazing question. Yeah. The larger these cooperatives get, the harder uh, it is to really offer democratic governance, right? Like a lift democratic governance and also a feeling of these members actually to be really part of this organization. Uh, and, well, you know, how do they solve it? How, how do people uh, start to solve these issues is with tools like Lumio, right, uh, from Inspiral in New Zealand um, and uh, through, you know, Uh, participatory processes to really try to uh, engage and also frankly tell people about the co-op model, right? Uh, So there are uh, many large uh, platforms where people just realize like, well, this platform just pays much better than the others. So that's why they are there, right? And uh, then they are learning that governance might also be uh, part of the picture and that this is actually a cooperative. (laughs) Example I mentioned earlier, uh, smart.coop in Europe and then also in Canada, uh, Stoxy United um, is a platform for stock photography and video. And it has around a thousand uh, photographers. Um, It's you know, incredibly uh, competitive and uh, made, I think they had a revenue of like $13 million last year. Um, And, uh, but, uh, so it's quite successful in many ways, Uh, but they also found they paid twice as much as, uh, or more than twice as much. It's the highest paid service, I think, actually in that industry uh, for your images, right? Uh, For for stock photography, but, um, you know, then to really turn, op, uh, operate this as a cooperative is not easy. So on the back end, they have uh, an educational portal which is really interesting because sort of triggering out these or, or teasing out these differences right education is another one right that's also specific to cooperatives that they educate their members right mm-hmm. Getty images couldn't care less right if they're <laughs> right, about,
0: they right they probably don't want you to understand the financial <laughs> model behind it whereas cooperatives absolutely require you to, to understand how it works yes
1: but when you commit to to a limited number of artists right like let's say even uh, like a thousand then that's actually in your interest right to actually uh you know educate them and uh make them you know produce better uh products actually for the cooperative as a producer cooperative That it is so for someone
0: who's who's listening to this and saying i i really want to learn more about this i want more platform cooperatives in my life are, are there platform cooperatives that people can join, you know, other than the sort of highly geographic, highly local ones that we've been largely talking about? Are there, you know, people often sort of come out of a discussion like this and sort of say, I want to try a decentralized social network, you know, and then, and then sign up for Mastodon. Is, is there sort of a, a parallel in the, uh, in, in the platform co-op space?
1: First of all, there is platform.coop, where people can go, which is a hub uh, for people to learn about this work. We have, you know, like a mailing list and newsletter and all of that. Um, but uh, earlier this year, we uh, partnered with uh, Mondragon University and uh, the Platform Corp Consortium. And now we started offering an online course together. Uh, on platform co-ops and uh, like in the summer, a thousand people asked to be registered from over 40 countries. And uh, this is now still running. So now in the second edition, and it's a wonderful way of getting an introduction to this uh, topic. And then in the second half of the course, uh, actually incubate your own idea in collaboration with local partners. So we have over 40 local organizations around the world that uh, incubate with participants uh, in their local language. Um, and uh, actually in our next edition that will start uh, uh, probably in June, offered through the New School, uh, we will also offer it well, in Spanish again and in English, but then also in Portuguese. And uh, in the first edition, we also had a Korean track Uh, And then all the lectures were translated in all these languages. So it's really, uh, it's a good way to start because the most amazing thing about it is that the people get to know each other, right? So here you have an ecosystem of uh, people that all get to know each other's projects, uh, can now collaborate on their, uh, you know, businesses and learn from each other.
0: Is there a future where we have strong alternatives in front of us where we can sort of ask the question, um, do I want an Uber or a Lyft or do I want to go with a ride-sharing cooperative that's actually a cooperative? Is, is the goal here to complement some of these exploitive business models? Is it, is it to run them out of town? Um, think, think big for me for a bit here. What, what, what are your ambitions for, for this movement?
1: Um, Well, that's actually that we're thinking about quite concretely now, uh, uh, definitely to create a very large number of jobs in the next 10 years, which I think is uh, something that, um, you know, is obviously particularly needed right now. Uh, Also in the global south, right? Uh, We're also thinking about conversions. So uh, what would it be like to convert something like Care.com into a cooperative? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, right now, uh, my colleague Nathan Schneider is uh, uh, converting, uh, you know, sort of nonprofits into cooperatives, uh, which is also an important area there. Um, and uh, yeah, it's essentially to scale it with Mondragon. Uh, uh, I think to to really reach uh, into the cooperative movement worldwide, and ex- you know, continue these experiments, create incubators reaching, I mean, we're already reaching tens of thousands of people, uh, but uh, to to go beyond that and really create uh, jobs that are probably, in my opinion, uh, not predominantly competing with these large, big companies. Um, uh, We saw projects like that not do incredibly well, but uh, in New York City, uh, we actually have one underway, which looks incredibly promising, is the Drivers Cooperative. Which, which aims to be uh, a tertiary service uh, in this area. Uh, but then, Ethan, uh, this also uh, doesn't just apply to these particular areas. You know, we are also thinking about higher education, right? Sure. Uh, we are thinking about what can you do with uh, the some 60 million artisans in India? Could you create a cooperative marketplace for them? Right? What could you do with uh, the uh, six hundred fifty thousand people returning from prison in the United States every year? Right.
0: right. Who who have incredibly difficult problems with re-entering yeah. the workforce um, and campaigns like Ban the Box and others have not necessarily gone and affirmatively uh, created workplaces that are welcoming uh, re-entry from incarceration.
1: Right. And then, you know, going back to your, I think, uh, one of your earlier uh, episodes that I uh, listened to also uh, cooperative music streaming. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I you know, spoke with uh, Resonate, the CEO of Resonate, just a few days ago. And I think one of the big contributions, and I think this is what is so important uh, to get across, right, is I remember this conversation. I was at a business conference in Madrid and uh, in this very fancy hotel. And in the breakout session, I was talking with an economist who writes for The New York Times and shall remain unnamed. Um, And I asked him about this, you know, so what do you think of cooperatives? And he literally looked at me and said, like, insignificant part of the GDP and turned around and walked off. And um So, you know, and maybe, maybe you know, like, sure, right, like when you look at the data, uh, Finland, uh, the Netherlands, you know, have like around 10% of the GDP, but those numbers can be contested, uh, you know, might be more like three or 4% even there. But I think what's really important to understand what is actually the value proposition of these uh, uh, projects, you know, and I think that's part for this sort of big vision, you know, like, what are they actually contributing, right? they contribute something very different. When I talked to the Resonate founder just a few days ago, right, he described to me how it's a relatively small, um, you know, uh, uh, cooperative, uh, some 2000 uh, members, uh, but it really creates uh, a culture. It contributes a culture of uh, uh, music right, for fans and musicians, a sort of social network in which they are connected, Uh, but it's a very different value proposition that's hard to quantify, right? When I talked to the, uh, um, you know, recent immigrant who works for Up & Go, you know, she describes how the dignity that she uh, receives, you know, from working for this uh, cooperative, you know, the dignity that uh, changes the way she feels in her uh, everyday life and also how her husband is looking at her. This is how one uh, worker described it. Uh, so that's, I think, something that's really hard to put about the value on, you know.
0: Is it possible that the real contribution of um, platform cooperativism is embedding a different set of values into the design of these different forms of platforms going forward?
1: Well, that's definitely Already happening right for sure. Um, I think there's also um, another uh, potential, which is really uh, the fact that this is not just about economic uh, um, activity, but also about uh, the possibility of connecting distributed workers. Uh, in the sense that if you go back to the 1880s, right, like where there was, you know, with the Knights of Labour, uh, you, you, there's historically, of course, this deep connection uh, between cooperatives and unions, right? You know, also they emerged in the same place, you know, uh, almost at the same time, uh, you know, n- north of England, like right, 1844 in Rochdale. Uh, so you had like, you know, guilds forming in, into uh, uh, unions and, and you had these sort of first cooperative, well, not the first, but. The most recognizable uh, cooperatives emerge. So, uh, lots of parallels uh, there as well. So, they can also increase the associational power of uh, of workers, right? Freelancers, let's say, that are you know distributed and which unions have really insufficiently addressed or protected, right?
0: I, I'm curious. We, we've been trying to sort of define a set of Almost what we're calling like a civic logic for sort of thinking about if you were to redesign something like a social network with principles that, you know, this is a network designed for strengthening ties between people, that it's designed to make people more powerful as citizens and as neighbors and more accountable to one another, that, um, these networks have to be involved with their own governance they can't sort of outsource it to to third parties is is there a, a set of of logics that that you can imagine as a set of of cooperative values that could sort of inform technical design um, even, even of platforms that are not setting up co-ops are, are there lessons to be learned from platform co-ops? around the value sphere, or is it really um, a, a parallel economic model?
1: Well, I think uh, it's, um, uh, I mean, first of all, uh, it's about ownership, right? I mean, you can't fully control what you don't own. Uh, and I think that's a lesson, uh, right? Like, I think there's a real competitive advantage of platform corps to other businesses where they can say, well, you know, to users and workers that, you know, we can actually control your privacy, To a much fuller extent because we own the platform. Uh, But then it's also about inclusive design and uh, co design, right? So that these projects that the people you want to end up with, right, are really part of this project from uh, day one, you know. And uh, and and that the the project responds to the needs and uh, all along responds to the needs of uh, the people uh, you are designing it with and for. Right.
0: So, it, Trevor, one of the things that I'm I'm really fascinated with um, with the co-op movement in general and and platform cooperativism in in particular, is that um, it, it's clearly an alternative to traditional corporate models, but it also seems like an alternative to uh, government-supported services. You can imagine, for instance, those delivery services being set up during times of COVID, um, something that could be set up and administered uh, either by a federal government or or a local government. Um, Is there a danger that in sort of solving our problems through co-ops, that we are sort of letting the government off the hook yet again, and and sort of uh, I- accepting uh, a, a level of government failure that that we then have to uh, make up for as individual citizens? Shouldn't, shouldn't we demand some of these services as public services?
1: Uh, well, Ethan, I think everything at once, right? Uh, we should demand them, and we should also uh, help the people who, for the past, not help the people, but, you know, supporting people who help themselves already. uh, uh, That over the past 50 years, the failed politics of the past 50 years, right, that has not sufficiently addressed economic inequality with the American worker, like since you know 1972, 1978, in that range, right? Like hasn't that that their their wages, if adjusted for inflation, haven't really increased, while their productivity yeah. has vastly increased? Uh, who is watching out for them? Who is watching out for them? Uh, who, uh, I spoke yesterday with an, an infectious disease nurse from Seattle, who uh, you know, in the most emotional terms ever, right? Uh, uh, Complained to me and basically says, you know, she doesn't know where to turn uh, uh, because the the United States healthcare system is so broken, right? I mean, she likened it to a genocide, uh, and and therefore turned to my course on platform cooperatives because she said, like, mm-hmm. you know, well, what else should we do, right? I mean, we need to help ourselves, right? It's a similar move you saw with the Zapatistas, right? Uh, It's a similar move that you see all over the world. I mean, this is how, you know, even in the United States, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, rural electric cooperatives, right, which have now 40 million members in the United States, uh, that association uh, that that cover, I think, 41% of the American grid is cooperatively owned. So uh, there's a reason for that, right? Uh, So because of the vast failure of the system. And so but this does this should not this should not prevent us from uh you know pushing for participatory democracy as much of an ideal and ho- however unrealized that may have ever been right i mean give me an example right <laughs> of where that ever worked
0: i i think that notion of um a response to failure is is perhaps maybe Uh, The the best argument here that that in many cases, um, we have problems that have not adequately been solved by the markets. We have problems that have not adequately been solved by the public sector. Cooperatives at that point offer uh, another vision for going ahead and doing this. There's a lot of really interesting thinking here, and it's wonderful to have the resource of of your course to turn to. Uh, Trevor, this has really been a pleasure. It's so great to catch up with you and your work, and I really appreciate you uh, coming and, and talking about the cooperative movement and the implications it might have for the future of the Internet. Thanks for being with us. Reimagining the Internet is hosted by me, Ethan Zuckerman and produced by Mike Sugarman, who also composed our theme song. Visit publicinfrastructure.org for more information about the launch of our research center at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst in spring 2021. And please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast.